Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, episode number 20, Ivan IV, The Reign of Terror Begins. In my original outline of my podcast, by episode 20, we were going to be well into the time of troubles, but even plans like mine can be waylaid by the intricacies and fascinations of history. While I was aware of the enormity of Ivan's reign and its influence on Russian history, it was the abundance of interesting comrades of his that fed into his depravities that has enticed me to continue and expand my research into Ivan. I am also drawn to the brave few, like Prince Andrew Kerbsky, who dared to stand up to the Tsar, of course, by staying out of reach of his murderous henchmen. It is of the men who joined Ivan in his upcoming reign of terror we shall first turn to. Ivan had decided that Moscow, with all its boyar intrigue, was some place he could do without, so he went to his hunting lodge, Alexandrova Sloboda, where he could brood and gather around him people who would be utterly loyal to him. This Sloboda, or large village, was a bustling place, with its main intent being the supplying of everything that Tsar wanted. Cooks, tailors, builders, bear keepers, servants, butchers, priests, falconers, as well as the families of the men serving the Tsar, soon turned the hunting lodge into a bustling and thriving town, some 75 miles outside Moscow in a thick forest. It was the leading members of his court, no longer known as the Chosen Council, but now called the Council of Four, who kowtowed to Ivan's whims and demands. These four men were blamed by Prince Kerbsky as the main leaders of the horrors to come from the enforcement of the Oprichnina. The two most influential of the four were Prince Alexei Basmanov and Prince Afanasi Vyazmeski. Basmanov was known as being particularly cruel and unscrupulous. He brought in his son, Fyodor, into the clique who was noted for his handsome features, which some said caused him to share the bed with the Tsar. The fourth member of the council was one Peter Zaitsev, who led the team who murdered Prince Ivan Belsky in 1542. What happened in the name of the Oprichnina was to determine who was loyal to the Tsar and who wasn't. The Oprichnina was a creation of a separate territory within Russia that was under the total autocratic rule of Ivan. No one could question any decision he made within the land given to him. The Oprichniki was the force that Ivan used to enforce his will. If the members of the Oprichniki decided that a landed boyar had questionable loyalty, even if based on nothing more than rumor or a whim, they could strip the noble of his property, relocate him and his family far away, and give the land and all their possessions to someone whom the Oprichniki deemed loyal. Suddenly, Young noblemen with no land became large landowners, complete with huge estates and numerous serfs. Those boyars displaced were told to go off to far-off lands with only the clothes on their back, ordering the population not to aid the noblemen or their family under penalty of a cruel death. Few survived the journey. The seizure and expropriation of land became epidemic, with thousands of ancestral lands being taken away from the boyars, who held them for generations and the largest redistribution of wealth ever seen. If the Council of Four approved your admission into the Oprichniki and handed you land, 
you were forced to take a solemn oath, which has survived to this day, which said, quote, I swear to be loyal to my lord, the Tsar, and to his kingdom, to the young Tsareviches and to the Tsarista. And I swear not to be silent about any evils I know of, those that I have heard or will hear about, which are mediated by this or that person against the Tsar and the Grand Prince, his kingdom, the young Tsareviches and the Tsarista. I also swear an oath that I shall not eat or drink or have any dealings with anything in common with anyone from the Zemshis China. On this I shall kiss the cross. The Zemshi China was the land not completely controlled by the Tsar, being under more control of the powerful Boyar families. This separation, though, did not exempt them from Ivan's wrath. Once inducted into the Oprachniki, the power given to these men was almost unlimited. They could take away anyone's possessions at any time in the name of the Tsar, and as you can imagine, with unfettered power comes unbelievable cruelty and depravity. From here, I must warn you, my listeners, that I will, what I will share with you about the horrors of what goes on at the Alexandrova Sloboda in the name of the Oprachnina to supposedly purge Russia of treasonous people is one that rivals the Holocaust on a smaller but no less barbaric scale. The Oprachniki brought in hundreds of so-called enemies of the state to be interrogated, summarily tortured, and if the victim was lucky, to be executed. Ivan was said to enjoy watching and at times joining in on the murder of oft-times innocent people. According to Taub and Cruz, two foreign mercenaries, Ivan seemed to relish in the torture, not being in the least bit disturbed by blood spurting in his face coming from the prisoners. The murder spree would claim on average 20 to 40 people a day. The Oprachniki were dressed completely in black in order to spread fear to the population. They had no problems with their depraved actions as according to the aforementioned mercenaries. No one protested against these executions. On the contrary, they considered themselves fortunate to be able to do this good and holy work. Reminds you of the stories of Stalin, Hitler, Mao, and Pol Pot of the 20th century. How little mankind has changed. From here, the top terror of the Oprachnina spread throughout Russia, bringing with it the same horrors that were found in Alexandrova Sloboda. Metropolitan Afanasi could take no more, so by 1566, he submitted his resignation on account of an infirmity, the infirmity likely being the knowledge of Ivan's atrocities. An Oprachnina palace was hastily being constructed in Moscow, just outside the Kremlin walls. In August of 1566, a number of brave boyars, seeing the building of another Alexandrova Sloboda near to them, petitioned Ivan to end the Oprachnina. Led by Prince Pronsky, Karamaishev, and Bundov, 300 men pleaded with the Tsar. One Albert Schlichting writes of the petition, most illustrious Tsar and Lord, why have you given orders to kill our innocent brethren? We have all served you loyally and spilled our blood for you. This is the way you reward us for our services? You throw the Oprachniki at our throats. They pluck our brethren and beat, stab, and strangle us. And in the end, they will kill us all.
Ivan had, would have none of this, and he ordered all the men massacred. The Lithuanians, sensing a weakness in Russia due to the ongoing purges, were amassing their army under their ruler Sigismund, with the help from Ivan's one-time friend, Prince Kerbsky. The Tsar now saw enemies everywhere. No one was beyond suspicion, as a real enemy in Lithuania was poised to invade, and there were treasonous plotters out there. The paranoia went from mild to extreme. Ivan became unhinged, and what was a steady flow of Russian blood was to turn into a torrent. He took pleasure in coming up with new ways to torture and kill his imaginary enemies. Here, some historians diverge in their assessments of Ivan. Some believe that this was all a plan to shake up Russian society, eliminate the last remnants of the apanage system, and replace it with an enlightened despotism. The reprehensible evil that preceded these initial phases of the Oprichnina suggest otherwise. Ivan Chelyadin, a former confidant of the Tsar and one-time governor of Moscow, was stabbed numerous times during one of the Tsar's rages, being finished off by Ivan's guards. What ensued was barbarism of the highest level. Anyone even remotely associated with Chelyadin faced torture and execution, and in the case of women, rape. The ways the women were degraded, tortured, and raped, sometimes by Ivan himself, are too disgusting to repeat. The stench of the dead, left lying in the streets of Moscow, was oppressive, even by medieval standards. But even this was not the most depraved actions. It was the treatment of the newly appointed Metropolitan Philip, who had constantly protested the actions of the Oprichnina. Ivan had Philip arrested, put on trial, tortured, humiliated, and eventually strangled to death, with his allies also being murdered in unspeakable ways. Now, I'd like to thank listener Dmitry Agafonov for mentioning on our Russian Rulers History Podcast Facebook fan page that there is actually a 2009 movie about the battle between Ivan and Philip, simply called Tsar. It is available with English subtitles for all of us whose understanding of the Russian language is a bit meek or non-existence. Existent. Thank you, Dimitri. Now, Ivan was systematically eliminating anyone who got in his way, but it was laborious to go after people one at a time. Now it was time to kick his murderous ways up a notch. Now he would go after whole cities along with all their inhabitants. And the first city that he wanted to face his wrath was the ancient city of Novgorod. The people were long known for their independent streak, something that Ivan believed smacked of treason. Three of the members of the Council of Four were concerned with Ivan's idea of attacking the city and slaughtering the population. Prince Vyazmeski and the Basmanovs thought the idea unnecessary, but shortly after making their feelings known, they were arrested, tortured, and murdered, replaced by two men even more depraved, Malyuti Skuratov and Vasily Groznoy. Ivan set out with an army towards Novgorod and first came upon the city of Klin on the outskirts outskirts of the Principality of Tver. There he ordered the murder of every man, woman, and child. 
From there, he went to Tver itself, where 9,000 people were massacred. Not satiated, he headed towards Novgorod. On January 6, 1570, Ivan began the devastation. He ordered all monks and nuns beaten to death in the surrounding monasteries. On the 7th, the deed was done, with 500 dead. On Sunday the 8th, Ivan went to church as though nothing had happened. He had clearly lost his conscience. For the next four weeks, Ivan and the Oprachniki slaughtered over 30,000 inhabitants of the once great city of Novgorod. All the wealth of the city was ordered to be transferred to Alexandrova Sloboda. The city was burned and destroyed, never to return to its glory days. And all this was done because of a fabricated letter from the Archbishop of Novgorod to Sigismund offering to become allies of Poland and Lithuania. From here, Ivan sets his sights on Piskov. But in Piskov there was a holy man named Mikula, and he warned Ivan that if a single soul was harmed in the city, God would send bolts of lightning toward the Tsar. Then, as legend has it, the sky began to darken, and lightning struck nearby. Ivan, a very uh, spiritual man, was terrified and proceeded to leave the city and head back to Moscow. In Moscow, though, the people were petrified that the returning Tsar would now turn his murderous eyes toward them. They were right to be scared. Hundreds were to be tortured in the center of Red Square and executed because of Ivan's hatred of the boyars. His son Ivan joined in and on the in on the brutality, with some witnesses reporting that the boy, now seventeen, was as cruel, if not crueler, than his father. There is little doubt the bloodbath would have continued unabated, if not for the threat that came from the east. The Tartars were on the move, and their target was Moscow. Join me next week when we see how all of the killing by Ivan greatly weakened Russia and was about to cause all the gains he made early on in his reign unravel. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of September 12th through the 18th. In 1612, Tsar Vasily IV of Russia dies. In 1657, Sofia Alexievna, regent of Russia, was born. In 1809, the peace between Sweden and Russia and the Finnish War came. The territory to become Finland is ceded to Russia by the Treaty of Friedrichshafen. In 1812, Russians set fire to Moscow as Napoleon began his occupation of the city shortly after midnight. The city burns down completely in the ensuing five days. In 1829, the Ottoman Empire signs the Treaty of Andrianople with Russia, thus ending the Russo-Turkish War. In 1849, Ivan Pavlov, Russian scientist, recipient of the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine, is born. In 1911, Russian Premier Peter Stolypin is shot at the Kiev Opera House. In 1917, Russia is officially proclaimed a republic, which was not to last long. In 1934, the USSR is admitted to the admitted to the League of Nations. In 1939, the Soviet Union joins Nazi Germany's invasion of Poland during the Polish Defensive War of 1939. 
1953, Nikita Khrushchev was appointed Secretary General of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. In 1959, the Soviet probe Luna 2 crashes into the moon, becoming the first man-made object to reach it. In 1959, Nikita Khrushchev became the first Soviet leader to visit the United States. In 1962, the Soviet ship Poltava heads toward Cuba, one of the events that sets into motion the Cuban Missile Crisis. And in 1993, the last Russian troop leaves Poland. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And please visit the website at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Ask a question, make a suggestion, and please leave a comment. And as always, das vidanya es pasiva bolshoya.